That decision alone by President Trump bought us invaluable time to stand up the greatest national mobilization since World War II. Well, the American people have witnessed what is the greatest failure of any presidential administration in the history of our country. Well, there you go. Other than that, how do you feel about them, Kamala Harris? <laughs> well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Hey, yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. Down in New Orleans, staring down another hurricane on uh, WHIV. Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN. Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, up in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day for your listening convenience on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Deprogrammed Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us for our special coverage of Wednesday night's presidential, I should say vice presidential debate. Uh, we will begin that special coverage with our two guests momentarily. That's two if you don't count Desi Doyen. That would be three. <laughs> I wouldn't be a guest. That's true. You're always here. Exactly. Can't get rid of you. <laughs> We'll get to them all in a moment, but if you will allow me uh, very quickly here, a point of uh, personal privilege of sorts here at the top of the show. Um, so you know how I have noted many times uh, over the years that I am not 100% comfortable with social media outlets blocking tweets or suspending or banning users. I, I know that some on the left are always delighted to see some, you know, some of the right wingers who, uh, you know, see their tweets or their fo- Facebook posts being banned. Usually it's because those tweets or posts are out and out false and sometimes dangerous information. But the practice has always made me just a little bit uncomfortable. The idea of these huge companies deciding what is and isn't true or false Well, this morning serves as a reminder as to exactly why I feel that way. I woke up this morning to find out that I have been suspended from Twitter. That's right. My account, the Brad blog, is blocked for what they say is 12 hours. It may be more now, uh, but uh, apparently it is due to a 100 percent 
accurate tweet that I posted two weeks ago based on a federal court filing in Georgia. I woke up to find out, uh, uh, quote, we have determined that this account violated the Twitter rules specifically for violating our rules against posting misleading information about voting, telling me you may not uh, post content providing false information about voting or registering to vote. Now, what what is the what what did I do? What is the tweet here that has uh, caused me to be removed from Twitter, at least for now? Um, They cite a tweet that reads exactly like this. Uh, This was, again, two weeks ago, September 26, 1150 in the morning. I wrote 39 days until Election Day, and the entire state of Georgia does not have a single working database for any of the 159 counties where the Georgia Secretary of State forced every one of them to use a new, untested, 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting system. Just un-effing believable, although I used a different word. So um, they told me that as a result, we've temporarily limited some of your account features while in the state. You can still browse Twitter, but you're limited to only sending direct messages to your followers. No tweets, retweets, follows or likes. Now, I have not actually been able to send any direct messages to anybody, uh, nor have I been able to browse unless I use a, 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 a browser that I go in. A private uh, a window. private window. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They say that my account functionality will be restored to full functionality in 12 hours unless I delete my tweet. Or I could appeal. Well, guess what I did? I appealed, which means they say uh, I will therefore be banned, I guess, entirely until they adjudicate the case. Now... That tweet about the uh, counties in Georgia not having a working database for their voting systems was 100 percent true. And I let them know as much in the appeal, citing the federal court filing in Curling v. Kemp. This is a long running suit uh, with the plaintiff Marilyn Marx's coalition for good serving as the plaintiff. You've heard her many times on our show. Um As a guest, she's been challenging the use of Georgia's 100 percent unverifiable new touchscreen voting system for the first time this year in her uh, emergency filing that was uh, that that tweet was responding to. Chris Harvey of the Georgia Secretary of State's office sends an email to all 159 counties uh, saying, uh, telling them, we found out there is an error in the November database, which will require every county to get a new database for the November 3rd, 2020 election. We are working with Dominion to correct the error and get you new databases as soon as possible. Dominion is the private Canadian firm vendor of Georgia's that makes and programs all of the voting systems across the state of Georgia. Uh, His note goes on to say, I am very sorry to have to tell you this. I know that everyone is working hard uh, as they can to be prepared. We will do everything we can to minimize the delay this will cause. Chris Harvey, Secretary of State's office. That's what my tweet was citing. It's in a legal filing in federal court citing an email from the Georgia Secretary of State's office, I don't know how much more specific you can be. One of the voting system experts who I shared all of that with uh, believes that the state of Georgia themselves may be behind it, may have complained. That's what I thought. Yeah? Is that what you think? Yeah. 
I don't know. I have no evidence. I only report stuff for which not only I have evidence, but independently verifiable evidence. You can read the whole story over at bradblog.com because, unfortunately, I had to spend a lot of time this morning um, replying to them and uh, blogging what actually happened with all of the links to prove that, yeah, I got it right. So anyway, if you want to complain on Twitter, please feel free. You can use the uh, uh, the link that I have at Bradblog to the uh, story about all of this. I am the Bradblog on Twitter. Uh, please feel free to raise hell there because I cannot do so. I am banned, at least for now. So with that out of the way, we now resume our regularly uh, <laughs> previously scheduled special coverage of Wednesday night's refreshingly dull vice presidential debate. More Americans said that Kamala Harris did the best job in the vice presidential debate on Wednesday night, according to a CNN instant poll of registered voters. About six in 10, that's 59 percent, said that Harris won. 38% said Vice President Mike Pence had the better night. I'm not sure what winning actually means in uh, the context of debates, but that's what they talk that's what they always say. Who won the debate? I don't know. There was a stark gender gap in the results, says CNN, the with uh, women saying that Harris did the best job in the debate by a 69 to 30% margin. Men split evenly for the most part, between Harris and Pence, giving her 48 percent and Pence 46, though noteworthy even there. Harris came on top, if only uh, came out on top, if only by a couple of points. Harris did improve her favorability rating among those who watched, they say, according to the poll. Uh, for Pence, however, the debate was a wash. Fifty six percent said they had a positive view of Harris. That uh, that was before the debate, during pre-debate interviews. After the debate, that rose to 63 percent. So she did herself well, I guess. Pence's favorability stood at 41 percent in both pre- and post-debate interviews. No polling data yet on how The Fly did. <laughs> But I suspect we'll get to that in a bit, uh, as well as Donald Trump's claims that he will not participate in the next presidential debate next week, since the Presidential Commission on Debates has announced it will be virtual due to Donald Trump's infection with a deadly, highly contagious disease. Trading barbs through plexiglass shields on Wednesday night, Republican Mike Pence and Democrat Kamala Harris turned the only vice presidential debate of 2020 into a dissection of the Trump administration's handling of the coronavirus pandemic, according to AP Today, with Harris labeling it, quote, the greatest failure of any presidential administration in history. Pence, who leads the president's coronavirus task force, acknowledged that, uh, quote, our nation has gone through a very challenging time oh, this year. Yet he vigorously defended the administration's overall response to the pandemic, which has killed more than 215,000 Americans over the past eight months and has infected nearly eight million, including the president of the United States himself, his wife, and as many as two dozen or more senior officials who came in contact with him over the past week or so as he proudly refused to wear a mask while serving as the super spreader in chief before being rushed off to a uh, to the Walter Reed Medical Center for free 
taxpayer-funded socialist health care to help him feel better. The debate on Wednesday was held at the University of Utah with the candidates seated 12 feet apart, separated by two plates of plexiglass, about which The Daily Show's Jordan Klepper quipped on Twitter while I was uh, still able to easily read it anyway, uh, noting that Mike Pence was the head of the White House Coronavirus Task Force. Klepper said the head of the Coronavirus Task Force is debating half a year later through two layers of plexiglass. Yep, how'd that go? The Salt Lake City debate between the two Veep candidates was far more civilized than last week's chaotic face-off between Donald Trump and Joe Biden, but unfolded against the outbreak of coronavirus now hitting the highest levels of the U.S. government. With less than four weeks now before Election Day, the debate moderated by USA Today's Susan Page, who, by the way, it should be noted, is a frequent Fox News panelist. So, so far last week we had Chris Wallace of Fox News and now Susan Page. Uh, Anyway, uh, the debate was one of the final opportunities for Trump and Pence to reset a contest, according to AP, that... Uh, citing the widening polls favoring Joe Biden, could be slipping away from them. In addition to COVID, Pence found ways to artfully dodge direct questions about transparency regarding the president's health, climate change, abortion, racial justice, and a peaceful presidential transition. As a uh, former talk radio host, however, Pence is very, very good at that, uh, apparently, while giving those of us who actually tell the truth and do not avoid facts over the airwaves a bad name in the bargain, I guess. As Politico's Alice Olstein noted on Twitter, so many dodged questions that leave the public without answers on incredibly important topics, the fate of the Affordable Care Act and pre-existing conditions, how to rebuild public trust in a COVID vaccine, what will happen to abortion access if Roe v. Wade is overturned, All good questions that I guess we'll have to wait for another day or another period in American history. Joining us for post-debate analysis and looking ahead and at what is to come in the weeks ahead is, of course, as I said, our own Desi Doyen, as usual. And Desi, good news, by the way, climate change was brought up again. Yes. For a substantive conversation, sort of. Lengthy, let's say. Seven minutes. It was all pretty stupid. But yes, there was at least a conversation about climate change. And, and Pence lied throughout it. Well, of course. But hey, As uh, one does, they, apparently. they were asked about it. And it wasn't at the very end of the debate. It was actually True. up the first, uh, I think, 30 or 45 minutes of the debate. So True. are you happy with that finally? Yes, I am very glad that it is finally a consistent part of the presidential campaign and even the vice presidential debate for the first time in, you know, U.S. presidential history. For or five administrations from now, it'll be the first question they ask at the debate. <laughs> it's going to be all we'll I be talking fear. about. Yes. Also joining us for insight, analysis, fact-checking, and occasional comic relief are two broadcast post-election special coverage veterans. And let's go with ladies first today in commemoration of perhaps the first female vice president in our nation's history. 
Maybe. Heather Digby Parton is the much-beloved longtime blogger known simply as Digby. She's the proprietor of the long-running Hullabaloo blog and a regular award-winning contributor at Salon.com. Heather Digby Parton, welcome back to the broadcast, and I hope appearing on this show does not get you suspended on Twitter. <laughs> I will do my best. I'll try not to tell the truth about voting yes. irregularities, <laughs> because that's obviously a real killer That on would Twitter. harm our elections, apparently. <laughs> David Ferris uh, joins us as well. He's a contributor at The Week. He's an associate professor of political science at Roosevelt University in Chicago, author of the book It's Time to Fight Dirty, How Democrats Can Build a Lasting Majority in American Politics, and the new book, I believe, don't know if it's out yet or not, uh, titled The Kids Are All Left. <laughs> David, welcome back, sir. And, and do I have that right about your book? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, no, it's 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 out. Yeah, it's out for sale. Uh, yeah, oh yeah, yeah but, it came out in uh, late June. But <laughs> you haven't sent me a copy. Okay, I got it. I understand <laughs> now. <laughs> I'm on it, Brad. I'm on it. I, I see. It, so. I see how this goes. <laughs> all right. Uh, I have been. Uh, I've been dealing with Twitter all day instead of reading it, which, by the way, has been very nice. <laughs> I'm not sure where you guys are, therefore, on last night's debate. So let's just start kind of broad as usual. Find out uh, where you are, and then we'll get into some specifics, if any of them are actually worth getting into. Uh, as to the debate itself, which was really boring. And dull and not very surprising or enlightening in any way, in my opinion. Therefore, I loved it. It was the best debate in years, uh, in my opinion, because afterwards I was not anxious and terrorized and overwhelmed and confused. And it tells me that maybe, Heather, just maybe the stress and constant anxiety that I have felt pretty much every day and every hour for the last four or five years is not something wrong with me. It's actually Donald Trump. Uh, <laughs> wondering if anyone else has a similar uh, revelation uh, after last night. Heather? Well, you know, I wish I could agree with you on that. Mm -hmm. But I watched Mike Pence and uh, realized that that anxiousness extends way into the Republican Party. Uh, you know, to me, listening to him, yes, he has much more finesse. He has more, you know, better rhetorical skills. He was a talk show host, so he knows how to speak in complete sentences, unlike his boss, Donald Trump. Uh, and he threw out a few, you know, sort of nice, mannerly kind of comments, like, you know, I, I, congratulations on the historical, I don't know, what did he call it, your his, historical... Uh, nomination. You know, or nomination or... or mm -hmm. And then he said, you know, thank you for the kind words from you and, and Vice President Biden on, you know, Donald Trump, both of which were nice things. Donald Trump has failed to say either of those things. So, you know, yes, Mike Pence does have some better manners. But as it went on, I mean, there is an ugliness and uh, an aggressiveness, and even in his own way, a bullying aspect to, that has overcome Mike Pence, as it has the rest of the Republican Party. Um, it, you know, I think Trumpism has taken its toll. I mean, mm. this guy said some, I mean, he was much more disciplined than Trump, of course. But it shows that kind of, you know, I mean, there was an edge to him mm -hmm. that I had not seen in Pence before. Mm -hmm. And it's an edge that you see in Kevin McCarthy and you see it in Mitch McConnell and you see it across the board. The guys like Mike Lee, 
you know, who's out there, the, the um, senator, you know, from senator, Utah. senator from Utah, who also has COVID, mm-hmm. uh, caught it at the Rose Garden ceremony, the infamous super spreader Rose Garden ceremony. And he's out there saying, well, we don't really, you know, democracy isn't really the point. We just want, you know, um, uh, we just want a prosperous society, happiness, et cetera. You know, and sometimes going, oh, democracy wait. gets in the way, he said. Right. You know, that can be a problem. You know, we need a benevolent dictator, in other words, is what he's saying. So, you know, I mean, there's this, there's something that's really shifted in the entire party uh, and across the right. And this has existed on the right for a long, long time. I mean, it's not like it mm-hmm. didn't exist. But I think it's really thoroughly gone mainstream. And Mike Pence, I, I don't think he'll ever be able to shed Donald Trump. I think Donald Trump is, an al- you know, is a dead albatross around his neck for the rest of his career. Mm-hmm. But there will be others who will be, able, who will be carrying on the banner of this kind of Trumpism in the way that Pence does, which is that it's all there, all the Trumpisms, all the Trump, you know, ugliness and, and kind of contempt, which is that what I really think he was displaying was contempt for Kamala Harris, contempt for the process, contempt for democracy, and contempt for the intelligence of the American people. The stuff he was saying over and over again, repeating just like his boss does, were nonsensical, illogical commentary on what's going on, and yet he says it with great confidence. So I think we can expect a Tom Cotton or someone like that to carry that banner going you forward. You know, and I hear you. I hear what you're saying, uh, but to me it sounded uh, a lot more like the old Republicans, in that, yes, they were lying, they were evasive, they were not telling the truth, they were making up stuff, they were you know, evasive and, and, and making claims and, and charges that were just out and out wrong. But, you know, that's what George W. Bush felt like to me. And uh, I thought I was stressed out during that administration until we got to the Trump administration. Uh, and now it's just, uh, you know, a whole new ball game. So I feel like I can deal with the old Republican Party. It's uh, it's the Donald Trump. For me, anyway, David does does a, a boring, sort of normal, sort of substantive, if mostly evasive debate help or hurt Donald Trump or Joe Biden more uh, here? Well, you know, I, I usually know like what I think the snap polls are going to say after the after a debate happens, mm-hmm. and and as the debate was unfolding, I thought this is going to be a draw, you know, um, because Pence did, he wasn't like a like a maniacal horror show like the president was last week. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so he, I think he benefited a little bit from that contrast. Um, and he, you know, he, he had himself together. He made his, he made the points that he wanted to make. I think he was um, obnoxious within sort of ordinary boundaries of these debates <laughs> by, right. by speaking past his time over and over again. Yep. Um, and that's not something that he invented, um, but it, it wasn't the constant interruption uh, of Joe Biden that, that President Trump did. Mm-hmm. Um, and so on a surface level, I thought, you know, he did fine. Um, I think uh, I thought the people watching this who, who agree with Trump and Pence on policy will think that he won, and the people that agree with Kamala Harris will think that he lost. And that's not really what the polls showed. And I think it's, it highlights how much trouble the president and, and, and Vice President Pence are in right now. Mm. And the trouble is based on what they have done in office. And, and the problem with Pence's debate performance was really not anything that Pence did. It's that he was forced to go out there and defend this this record of catastrophe and, and lies and, and hatefulness, and there's really no good way to do that um, because he has to defend the administration's policies. He has to admit, uh, defend the administration's decisions, and uh, and the polling showed um, this 538 poll showed um, people agreed with with Harris on policy more than they did with with Pence. Mm. It showed that she increased her favorability more than more than Pence did. 
And I think that that has a lot to do with the condition of the country. I think it has a lot to do with what's happening in the country and that people are, are, are angry um, with what this administration has done. And so I'm not really sure there was a way out of that for Pence. You know, um, mm. you, you can't really spin what, what's happening out there um, except with this, like, transparent nonsense <laughs> um, mm-hmm. about how President Trump saved all these lives by shutting down travel to China. I think this is just not a convincing argument to anyone. Um, and so at, at the end of the day, I really don't think that he helps the ticket at all. I mean, I, I think that these debates are of sort of limited utility in, in moving the polling and affecting the outcome anyway. But in as much as this was one of their last chances to, to change the narrative, and now that the president has bailed on the next debate, um, it's just not clear to me what can really change the conversation from the COVID disaster, um, the plague house that the president lives in, um, you know, our, our spiraling and, and, and terrible lives. Um, he just didn't do anything. Uh, to, to turn that around. And so I think it was just another missed opportunity for them. The plague house. Heather, uh, Pence, <laughs> as as David notes, uh, consistently ignored the time limits and moderator uh, Susan Page's attempts to cut him off. Uh, he just steamrolled her and she, by and large, let him do so, I thought. Uh, she let him, but she did not let uh, Kamala Harris. My imagination or or am I right about that? Well, apparently they they did the you know the number the amount of time that they both spoke and it came out pretty even, but it sure didn't feel that way. No, it did <laughs> and not. And it didn't feel that way because he was because of his attitude. Mm-hmm. And I, I think this is one of the things. I mean, it, Pence Pence had a job to do last night, which was, you know, there's a group of people that the that the Republicans desperately need to try and bring back, or they're going to lose, and they know it. Um, and that is that you know these these white college educated women in the suburbs and senior citizens. These are people that if they don't get some of those people back, they're going to lose. I mean, that that is part of their base, and they have, you know, basically over the last few months, largely because of COVID in the case of seniors, although I guess he, he was losing seniors even before that, but mm-hmm. now it's just the bottoms dropped out. Mm-hmm. And women throughout the, his entire term. And Pence was the guy who could have been, uh, you know, the kinder, gentler Trump, who could have been in there and, you know, been courtly and this kind of old-fashioned guy who calls his wife mother, you know, and been sort of an mm-hmm. unthreatening person. Sort of like, well, maybe if this guy likes Trump. I mean, you know, it's not much, and I don't think it would work, but I would have thought they'd at least try. And I don't <laughs> think he really tried, because, you know, he, he and, and a lot of it has to do with what David says. He had to defend that that record. And, and you know, like the, the record on the, on, on the pandemic is just abominable. I mean, it's horrifying. And he did something, he tried to do a little rhetorical trick where he was acting as though criticism of their coronavirus response was criticism of the American people. I mean, he said, when you say what the American people have done over these last eight months hasn't worked, well, that's a great disservice to the sacrifices the American people have made. And, you know, oh, nice try there, Pensy, but, you know, that was not going to fly. It actually, uh, no, I I caught it, you caught it. I'm wondering who else caught it, because Kamala Harris didn't mention it. She did not say, no, I wasn't talking about the American people, (laughs) Mr. Pence. I was talking about you. um, it, which she, no, she did. She did say that. Did she, she said, say I'm that? Talking about your president. Okay. Yeah. Well, she, she totally did. <laughs> you know, one of the things that drove me crazy throughout the night was, you know, if if Susan Page had only put as much. And by the way, did I mention she's a Fox News contributor? Because I did. <laughs> I think I need to point this out that she at. 
anyway, because uh, nobody else has. Anyway, if she had only put as much time and uh, effort, uh, frankly, into follow-up questions as she did in trying to keep Pence's answers short and stay on the clock... Uh, since Pence, uh, and to a lesser extent Harris, um, but largely Pence, pretty much completely ignored the questions, um, d- you know, I- in favor of answering whatever they felt like answering. Here's just one quick example of that. Senator Harris just said that climate change is an existential threat. Vice President Pence, do you believe that climate change poses an existential threat? As I said, Susan, the climate is changing. We'll follow the science. But uh, once again, uh, Senator Harris uh, is denying the fact that they're going to raise taxes. So he goes right to taxes. Not, no response to whether it's an existential uh, threat. Uh, he, he constantly did that. I think oh, with damn near every single question, uh, including, by the way, would he support Indiana banning uh, abortion in his home state if Roe v. Wade is overturned by the U.S. Supreme Court? That should have been a layup for him, but he was allowed to not answer it. Susan Page did not call them out on it once at all, but neither did Kamala Harris. Did she miss an opportunity there or was she wise to let those things go david i i think you know overall i think that harris did fine i i was kind of unsettled in the first 20 minutes of the debate when i thought that she missed kind of a couple of easy opportunities to to hammer home some of the uh, more specific failures in the response to the covid crisis Mm -hmm. um but in in terms of like should she have gone after him for not answering questions you know i don't know because she she wanted to do that a couple of times too (laughs) Um, on things like court packing. I think the place where, you know, the most egregious thing that happened all night came towards the end um, when uh, when Susan Page asked whether, you know, a peaceful transfer of power will be yeah. respected. Yes. Um, and Pence completely dodged it. You know, he said, uh, we're going to win. And it was really chilling to me. It was a place where I, I just did not understand the kind of the muzzle that they put on the moderators to not be able to follow up with this stuff. Um, and that struck me as a place where, you know, having been interrupted all night, she should have jumped. You know, she should have jumped in and, 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 and tried to corner Pence on this question, which is incredible that the Vice President of the United States of America cannot bring himself to pledge to respect the results of the election. I was, um, but I was struck. In pretty much every question was like that, and you can take your pick about what the you know which question it was that concerns you the most. But, you know, and for whatever muzzle you refer to, David, that Susan Page had on herself or that she put on herself, Kamala Harris didn't. She could have responded. It felt to me like it was a purposeful choice to not respond and and to not say, hey, you didn't answer the question. Uh, Heather? Well, you know, I don't know whether... I think I think you're right. And it might have been know, a smart I, choice, by the yeah. way. I'm not saying it wasn't a good choice, but it did drive me crazy. But, it was yeah. a choice because <laughs> what I was hearing before the debate, every strategist that I heard on TV, any you know talking head, pundit, whatever, were saying you know her, what what they need to do is to give their you know give their agenda, to give their view, to not react, to go out there and and you know make a case for themselves. 
and not respond, not react and respond to anything that, that the other side says. Mm-hmm. So that was something I think they were telling her to do, and, and I, you know, maybe that's something she wanted to do as well. I have no idea. But I think that that was the strategy. I, I'm not ever sure whether or not that's the right thing to do. A debate's a debate, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's supposed yeah. to be an, an exchange. Yeah. So to me, the idea that they wouldn't do it. On the other hand, when you see what happened with Trump at the previous debate, the idea of going back and forth suddenly takes on a different, you know, kind of tenor. Yeah. Ooh, maybe we shouldn't do that. Yeah. So I don't honestly know. I mean, I, you know, to me, the idea that, that, you know, you ignore the fact that somebody's over there just lying, you know, themselves silly and completely misleading the American people, uh, you know, and depending on fact checks afterwards, which is what the debate commission said in advance. We're not going to have the moderators do fact checks we're going to, because they'll be fact-checked later. Well, that's not really good enough, because most people aren't like us who sit there glued, you know, gee, what does Rachel Maddow and Gloria Borger have to say? You know, <laughs> most people don't, don't do that, right? They just watch it, and then they go off and go, wow, that was really something, you know. But, and, and so, you know, that's really not good enough. I mean, the whole debate format, I think, has been called into question here. I mean, it may oh, be definitely. that after Trump, people say, well, we'll get back to normal. Well, you know... Last night was a normal debate, like you said, Brad. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is much more like the kind of debate that we said. Was that really helpful? I mean, was that an enlightening kind of, you know, helpful thing? I mean, are we waiting for gaffes well, and th- waiting for for zingers? I mean, is that is that really what it's all about? Yes, um, yes, that's know, what it well, is all about. <laughs> apparently. I and, mean, <laughs> it's like we're, we, there wasn't even a debate. It was just a series of short speeches interrupted by Mike Pence. Yeah, well, and the fly. I thought the fly, the fly. really added something. I and, mean, well, me. there was That's the fly. <laughs> All right. St- uh, stand by, guys. i got to uh, take a quick break. Uh, but, uh, yes, uh, Heather, that's what it is, something that's really boring, and we wonder if it matters. And then I can sleep at night without uh, having <laughs> nightmares and waking up in cold sweats. Anyway, we'll you get... You should, though. I, yes. Well, <laughs> I d- and I believe me, I do. Uh, let, we'll take a quick break. We'll get into some specifics and whether both Pence and Harris actually accomplished anything uh, close to what they needed to, whatever that might be. And a bit later, yeah, we'll take a look at the next presidential debate and if it will even actually happen. And maybe we'll talk about the fly. Quick break and we're back with special coverage of the vice presidential debate right here on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. For life to get back to normal, Dr. Anthony Fauci and other experts say that most of the people who can be vaccinated need to be vaccinated. But half of Americans now say they wouldn't take a vaccine if it was released now. If the Trump administration approves a vaccine before or after the election, should Americans take it and would you take it? If the public health professionals, if Dr. Fauci, if the doctors tell us that we should take it, I'll be the first in line to take it. Absolutely. But if Donald Trump tells us that we should take it, I'm not taking it. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Special coverage of Wednesday night's vice presidential debate in Salt Lake City, Utah. 
a normal debate where the uh, politicians just bored us all and lied to us just the way they used to. Let's take a quick uh, trip around the table here. Uh, Pence had the gall to respond to Harris's answer there about whether she would take the uh, the, the vaccine, vaccine or yeah. not, based on Trump's recommendation for it, I guess, uh, to say that uh, she was undermining science and <laughs> undermining confidence in the American <laughs> people in an important vaccine to save the nation. How dare she? Gaslighting. Uh, so just uh, quickly around the table here. If the administration announces that a vaccine is good to go on November 1, would you take it, Desi Doyen? I would look at the science and I would see if the scientists and the virologists say it's safe to take and effective. And if they say it, yes. But again, if Trump just says it, that doesn't mean anything. David Ferris? It, like, it depends on whether Trump has overruled the scientists, mm -hmm. you know? Um, which is what he said he was going to do in the video that he released um, yesterday, one of his like crazy coked out um, hyper steroid videos, mm -hmm. um, where he was like, you know, the, uh, you know, we got a vaccine, but they're playing politics. You know, I want it before the election, but the, you know, I guess it's not going to happen until after the election. He was and it's like, that's the politics in it, man. Like that's why it's politicized. Right. Yeah, you're rushing the timeline. And by the way, um, thank so you. It's just like, it's, well, th thank you, David, for noticing that he was really jacked up. In that video, wasn't he? That he released that like four or five minute video that he released right before the debate. Man, it was that my imagination, or was he just something going on there? He's unwell. I mean, the man is not well. You know, he's on a heavy duty steroid, and um, he, he didn't take any breaths. And he, he you know, he took, spent a minute just talking about the meaning of the word therapeutic. Um, <laughs> I didn't think it was therapeutic. I got better, and it's like that's what it means. Come on, man. <laughs> um, so it's like. Uh, yeah, no, yeah. I mean, it's, a, it's an absurd, and, and Pence's response on that was absurd, you know, because it's just, it's so shameless, right? The only reason that there are politics involved in the vaccine is that the president is transparently trying to rush it so that he can announce it before the election. Yep. Heather, would you take so, that vaccine if it was announced on November 1? No. Nope. <laughs> uh, no, nope. I, I am waiting until, uh, you know, I presume, you know, if there is a new Biden administration, uh, I can wait until after that. And I, I want them to go in and take a good hard look at the entire process of this Operation Warp Speed. The guy who's running Operation Warp Speed has a bunch of, you know, financial interests in one of the vaccines. And, you know, I'm sure he's fine. He's a great doctor and everything. But all of this, it's just I need I need something I need for this whole thing to be looked at before I'm going to inject myself. But yeah. I'll just stay. I'll just stay in my, yeah. you know, uh, in, in under house arrest in my bunker, and that's fine. And I can wait a few more well, months that's what I was because say. I just don't trust the situation, and this makes me crazy because I am anything but an anti-vax person. Right. I totally believe in it. I believe in the science, but it's been, as David says, you know, this thing has been so politicized, so bastardized, and you have people like Redfield at the CDC and the way the FDA has been corrupted. I mean, it just, the stuff over at HHS, this entire thing has been, you know, completely corrupted, and I, I just, I can't trust it. And this mm -hmm. thing is deadly, and I'll just, I'll just wear my mask and stay home. Well, until, yeah, you, until we get this straightened out. You, you don't get out much anyway, no, I know, so you're in no rush. <laughs> that's true. Uh, although <laughs> I wish you would stop undermining the confidence of the American people. <laughs> I'm politicizing the vaccine. Yes, I why know. are yeah. you doing <laughs> Speaking of science, uh, as noted, there was a, a fairly substantive conversation about climate change in which Pence 
evaded whether it is an existential existential threat or not, and he repeatedly hit Harris. And this came up several times. Uh, repeatedly hit her. She had previously called for a ban on fracking, but she tried to uh, hit her or hit Biden anyway uh, by claiming that Biden wants to ban fracking. Here is uh, just one of her responses uh, directly denying that. What exactly would be the stance of a Biden-Harris administration toward the Green New Deal? I will repeat, and the American people know, that Joe Biden will not ban fracking. That is a fact. Now, uh, David Ferris, a a January poll of Pennsylvania voters, and apparently this is uh, Biden uh, saying that he will not ban fracking is is because they're concerned that fracking is uh, there's a a lot of jobs in Pennsylvania from fracking. But a January poll of Pennsylvania voters found uh, more believe the environmental risks, 49 percent of natural gas drilling outweigh the economic benefits of it. Uh, That's 38 percent. Those people who believe that uh, the economic benefits outweigh the environmental risks. The same poll found that more registered voters, 48 percent, favor a ban on uh, fracking than oppose it at 39. Uh, An August poll from CBS found that 52 percent of Pennsylvania voters support a fracking ban. Uh, including a big majority of Democrats, of course, but also strong majorities among traditional swing voters. 62% of self-identified moderate voters, 55% of registered independent voters support a ban on fracking. Now, David, you're the author of a book about how Democrats need to fight back and play as dirty as Republicans do. But did Harris uh, and for that matter, Biden fall into a trap there by insisting by becoming scared about alienating, you know, critical Pennsylvania voters by saying, no, I absolutely will not ban fracking. Yeah, I mean, I I disagree with the strategic decision that the campaigns have made here. I mean, Harris is obviously carrying out um, the, you know, the the policy of, of, of Biden here. But it seems to me like they've concluded that fracking is like the ethanol of Pennsylvania, <laughs> mm. um, in, in the sense that it's like so important to everyone in Pennsylvania that you can't you can't touch this like obviously idiotic policy um, because it'll cost your party in that in that state. And it's just the fracking is just not nearly as important to, to the economy of Pennsylvania. It's not as nearly as many people involved in it um, as as ethanol in, in Iowa. And so I find it I find the whole thing to be quite puzzling um, because you can see an alternate world in which Harris is out there making the case for, for the environmental damage that fracking has caused. It's mm-hmm. making the case for um, the way that like, extracting every, um, every fossil fuel from, from the ground is, is going to kill us all. Um, and so it's, just, it's a little bit jarring um, for her to, uh, you know, for the whole ticket, to, to lean into a message about climate change, but then say we're not going to ban fracking. Um, I would like to at least see some nuance there, you know, like we're going to ban certain kinds of fracking, or we're going to place mm-hmm. some limits on it, or we're going to take a look at the regulation. Well, but I it think, was just like, yeah, we're not going to do it. Well, no. I think it's important for a fact check here. A president cannot ban fracking. Only an act of Congress can right. do that. A president can only curtail new leases on public lands, and uh, the vast majority of fracking is on private lands. And they can, uh, a president could reinstate the uh, methane leak regulations that Trump repealed so he could reduce pollution that way. But there's not a whole lot that a president can do. And I actually think that the strategy is not just a 
pander to Pennsylvania voters who may be on the fence and they need them because it's a critical swing state to get those independent voters who probably have no idea about the actual facts about fracking and also may be willing to overthrow their own environment for the jobs and the economic growth caused by fracking. But I think it's also trying not to trigger the oil industry to launch a a mobilization Mm -hmm. against the Biden campaign, because if the Biden campaign, if the Biden presidency bans or severely curtails natural gas, that's the oil industry's pathway through to success when oil starts. uh, Now that we're uh, phasing out oil, people are there's less oil demand. Mm -hmm. Natural gas is supposed to be the bridge. And if you trigger the oil industry, they're going to unleash everything they've got to prevent any yeah, kind of well, you know what? They ain't got that much left uh, to trigger at this point, and they're going to be triggered anyway. True. And you're right that it's when just a strategy, you're though. right when when uh, she says uh, uh, Joe Biden will not ban fracking. That is actually uh, true because all he's got to do is, you know, ban uh, the the lease sales to fracking on the federal lands, and it could right. still say uh, he hasn't banned fracking. But right. the way it's heard, Heather uh, Digby Parton, uh, it, you know, I'm wondering if Kamala Harris, if Joe Biden, if they're falling into this trap, this idea that they're, you know, that they need Republican votes and they don't mind alienating Democrats, they don't mind alienating progressives with statements like that, uh, which, you know, I think most people will hear it as, uh, no, we're not going to ban fracking, we're going to allow as much of it as possible. It feels like, Heather, they're still not concerned about their left flank, they're concerned about their right flank. Well, it's interesting. I mean, they may be. That right flank that they're talking about there, though, is not the right flank, the, you know, suburban white women, you know, Mm -hmm. flank that that we see in these other fudging sort of issues that that they're doing that sort of annoy progressives like us. Um, This one is different. This is going directly at white working class men, I think. This fracking, you know, the jobs, there's just a, and it's kind of the rural... Pennsylvania, I think it's eastern Pennsylvania, that's really where they're looking at. And, and, and Desi, you're probably right that it's not just that, but that if you are looking just specifically at their, uh, you know, at the, at the electoral strategy, yeah. that that seems to be the group of people that they're looking at. They were Obama voters. I think that is an Obama to Trump voting block that mm. they think they can get. Now, you know, I don't, uh, to me, that seems kind of ridiculous. I mean, you know, <laughs> whatever i mean if they don't like you know i mean if that's the only issue that those people are voting on i really don't think it is because i think the other issue that they're probably a lot of those guys are voting on is ooh, we've got ourselves you know a lady of color on the on the ballot and i'm not so happy about that so i think they've got a different problem there but i, okay. I just one question i had i had understood that in that biden had not he he did say he wouldn't ban fracking but that he had explicitly said that they would you know no longer grant new leases uh, that had been my understanding but maybe that was back in the primary and he's changed i don't know but i had understood that now granted you know i don't i don't blame harris or biden for that matter for wanting to get into the nuance of that you know of the, the mm-hmm. specifics of that in a debate because it's just you know well, well, kind of let me let me give one more example here, and then I got to get to a break. So we have to keep your answers short here. But um, you know this idea that uh, you know, and I do hate to say it, 
uh, that, you know, Joe Biden, that they, they really don't seem to be focusing. Maybe they know something I don't, but they're not particularly concerned about the left flank, about the progressives. Uh, David, you were one of the first folks uh, that I talked to on this show about expanding the Supreme Court, uh, as you write about it in your book. Uh, last week, during the off-the-rails presidential debate, Biden refused to answer whether he would expand the courts or not. The topic came up uh, again in the uh, vice presidential debate last night. Uh, it was brought up by Pence himself. Give this a listen. Are you and Joe Biden going to pack the court if Judge Amy Coney Barrett is confirmed? I mean, there have been 29 vacancies on the Supreme Court during presidential election years from George Washington to Barack Obama. Presidents have nominated in all 29 cases. But your party is actually openly advocating adding seats to the Supreme Court, which has had nine seats for 150 years, if you don't get your way. This is a classic case of if you can't win by the rules, you're going to change the rules. Now, you've refused to answer the question. Joe Biden has refused to answer the question. So I think the American people would really like to know if Judge Amy Coney Barrett is confirmed to the Supreme Court of the United States, are you and Joe Biden, if somehow you win this election, going to pack the Supreme Court to get your way? Now, it takes no small amount of chutzpah there, in my opinion, uh, to claim that, you know, if if they can't get their way, they're going to change the rules, given that Mitch McConnell in the Senate actually couldn't get his way, couldn't get um, uh, Kavanaugh, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Neil Gorsuch passed, so literally changed the rules to remove the filibuster for Supreme Court justices uh, when they couldn't get Gorsuch through. Uh, but David, And also he changed the rules and didn't approve. Yeah. He, he lowered the number of seats on the court for almost a year. Oh, but that's right. That's right. So uh, should, uh, David, should Biden-Harris be more forthcoming that they will expand the court to help buoy the progressive vote. And uh, and I asked uh, Heather about this last week after the presidential debate to to allow them to claim a mandate when and if they win that they, yes, are there to definitely expand the court. And that's what the American people voted for. You know, I mean, first of all, welcome to team court backing, everybody. Water is warm. <laughs> come on in. Um, but uh, I think, you know, I think that the strategy of the Biden campaign right now is to try to avoid stepping into anything where public opinion is decisively against what they want to do. Mm-hmm. And court packing as a term polls like, you know, 65-35 against. And so they don't they don't want to endorse it. I think that there's some strategic logic for not explicitly endorsing it prior well, then, to the election. Then, then call it expanding it. And I mean, the American people, yeah. the polls show that they don't want the uh, uh, the Republicans to appoint Amy Coney Barrett right now. They want to wait until after the election. Call it expanding. Be brave. Be bold. These are things I learned in your own book, David. I'm just saying. No, I, <laughs> I mean. I think that they sh- I don't think that what they're doing right now is necessarily the smart move, though. I think that what they should do is they should hold the Barrett nomination out there as like a, as like a hostage mm-hmm. and say, like, all options are on the table. You know, if you go ahead with this nomination, um, you know, we, we just can't predict what we do, but enlarging the court is one of the options. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that, that leaves them some wiggle room yeah. to say, you know, like, like it could, you know, making a credible threat could stop the confirmation, right, theoretically. But it also communicates to the voters that that this is among their options, and I think that what we're doing they're doing right now is just like not answering the question in the same way that like Elizabeth Warren wouldn't answer the question mm-hmm. um, about how she was going to pay for Medicare for all back in the primaries, mm-hmm. and I I don't think that that was a great strategy for her ultimately, and I don't think that this sort of like 
I'm just going to completely ignore the question. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> I don't think so. for them either. I don't but think it so. It's telling to me that yeah. that both Biden and Harris were given the opportunity to say, "I will not pack the court," and given that they're saying, "I will not ban fracking," mm-hmm. um, in other words, they're, they're willing to say they're willing to explicitly yeah. distance themselves from from progressive priorities. They think that they don't pull well, and in this instance, where we know it doesn't pull well. They are refusing to explicitly say they won't do it, which actually gives me some hope. Yes, no, that they, that it, they might actually do it. It does <laughs> me too, actually. I'm uh, very happy to see that, but I think that they should say it explicitly so that they can then claim the mandate. We talked a little bit about it last week, uh, Heather's, and I got to get to a break. So you got, uh, I agree with David there. You got a 10 second response for me? <laughs> Yeah, that was what I said that last week, which is that I thought that they were, I thought it gave me hope that they weren't doing it. I would also say this just very quickly, that I think they're talking in some ways to John Roberts, the Chief Justice of the United States. Donald Trump wants this new court with Amy Coney Barrett on it to vote for him in these potential election cases. And I think Joe Biden not saying anything is kind of saying, John Roberts, watch yourself. You do this thing. We got some ammunition here. So, uh, I mean, I think that there's a lot going on with the Supreme Court justice, um, I, you know, nomination. And I think uh, it's going to continue to come up in the ensuing debates. If there are ensuing debates, we'll take a quick break and come back and talk about that. And maybe, yes, that fly. Our special coverage on the broadcast continues with David Ferris, Heather Digby-Parton, Desi Doyen, and myself, Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the broadcast. But we need your help to do it, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today. That's bradblog.com donate and thanks. He had to look presidential tonight, and he just looked limp and lame. He was so still that he didn't get rid of the fly. The fly left him, him when it got bored. Come fly with me. Let's fly. Let's fly away. <laughs> it's true. Uh, the, the fly stayed on Mike Pence's head for more than two minutes before it flew away. That apparently is how dull Mike Pence is. <laughs> But as usual, uh, welcome back to the broadcast. by the way. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com with David Ferris, Heather Digby-Parton, and Desi Doyen. Uh, you've got some actual science on that as oh, usual. Oh, yeah. So what happens when a fly lands on anything? It's usually pooping or it's laying eggs if it's a female. So think about that. Two minutes on Mike Pence's head. Laying <laughs> eggs or in pooping. Mike Pence's head. Yeah. Okay, then. Yeah. Well, it, it kind of was the highlight of the evening, though, wasn't it, <laughs> yes. uh, Heather? It was. I mean, I found it vastly <laughs> entertaining. That Between that and watching everybody on Twitter talk about his pink eye, it oh, kind of yeah. livened up the whole thing. You know, I mean, I, I felt like that was really, uh, you know, a little bit, uh, added a little Trumpian entertainment to the whole thing. There you go. Uh, all right. Now, according to internal documents from FEMA, uh, as ABC News is reporting today, apparently it is not a, a dozen or so, but 34 people connected to the White House, more than previously known, who have been infected by the coronavirus now. 
At the same time today, the Presidential Commission on Debates announced that next week's scheduled debate between Donald Trump and Joe Biden, which was supposed to be a town hall format where they wander around within each other's droplets in in Miami, that that will now be a virtual debate instead with the two candidates in separate studios because of Trump's COVID infection. But Trump on Thursday morning said he would not appear at a virtual debate. He called it a joke. Biden suggested they postpone it until the next week when there was going to be the final debate already scheduled. Trump said that's fine, but only if it's face to face which is a really scary thought right now. So very quickly around the table, Heather, what happens next? Will there be a debate next week or the week after? And and should there be? I don't think there will be. I think that Trump is sicker than he's saying, and I don't think there's going to be a debate. And he's an idiot for not doing the virtual debate because he needs something. Uh, and, And I'm sure his people are tearing their hair out that he did that. David, any guesses on how this plays out? Do you even want to see them debate again at this point? With new rules, maybe. I mean, I agree with Heather. It's idiotic that he that he pulled out of this debate because he says, you know, it's not a real debate. Look, like 150 million people have been working from home on Zoom for seven months. You know, it's like the idea that we can't do things virtually is like it is crazy. You know, um, uh, he has proposed two debates on the 22nd and the 29th. Um, as, you know, if they really want to do that, um, Joe Biden's team should be allowed to like take the sample from Trump themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, test them every day for a week, um, and then maybe, maybe I would be okay with them being in a room together. I will say I think it's a great for Biden to have an October 29th debate because Trump will be crazy, and I think Trump really benefited last time from that long period of, of quiet and silence after the last debate in 2016. Uh-huh. Well, I think we will all be crazy by October 29. Uh, yeah. Des, you got any? Well, we you got any prediction one way or another? No, I don't. I, all right. It's all up in the air as far as I'm concerned. I I think uh, Trump wants this debate. He's going to try to figure out his way to get back uh, any way that he can, even virtually. But we will see. All right, guys, you're all fantastic. I can't thank you enough. Please find Heather Digby Parton's work at salon.com and at digbysblog.net. You can also find her on. On the Twitters, if not me, at Digby56. Heather, thank you very much. My pleasure. Also, my thanks to David Ferris. You can find him on the Twitters at David M. Ferris, as well as at theweek.com, I believe, and also over at our friend uh, Juan Cole's site. Uh, inform- is that Informed Consent? Dot com, David? Informed comment. Yeah. Or informed comment. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me. A little different, yeah. All right, slightly. Uh, thanks to, uh, to both of you guys. Uh, thanks to Desi Doy, my producer, and thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's broadcast or any other, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. That is made possible by those of you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate. You are the only one who keep us right here on your public airwaves. We are 100% listener-supported, thanks to you. Drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com, and you can find me at least on the Facebooks at the Brad Blog. Someday. Maybe on the Twitters at the Brad Blog. I hope to see you all there. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Good luck, world.